the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Well, all right. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. Well, I guess you don't even have to turn there. You can just cheat off the sheet here. <clears throat> But you can turn, I like hearing uh, Bible pages turn, by the way. I love that sound. I hope it never goes away. I hope we don't get so electronically savvy that we forget the written word of God on pages. I love that. But this is one that you're familiar with. Philippians 3.14 says, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Say mark. In our lives, we have to learn to hit the mark. There's certain marks that God leaves for us in our path, and we need to stay on track so that we'll hit those marks. And the main mark that you'll hit if you're following God every day of your life is the mark of love. Do you believe that? He's leading us from love to love to love to love to love to go deeper into His love, to show more of His love. And so we got to hit the mark. My brother missed the mark one time. You know, I like to tell my brother stories. He ain't here to defend himself, so I tell on him. He's six years younger than me. I might tell on my mama a little bit here today, too. She... So, ushers, could we stand guard over here and keep her off me while I tell you? No. But uh, one time, my brother missed the mark. We were headed to Florida on a vacation, and I was probably 12 and my brother's probably around six years old. And we were in a Kojak car my mama had at the time, uh, yellow Buick Century. Anybody remember Kojak? Well, you just told how old you are. Because right <laughs> I barely remember Kojak. I don't remember it at all. But Kojak is an old show, if you didn't know, and he drove a yellow Buick Century, and my mama had one just like it. And we were heading down I-55, and I don't know why, but my mama wanted to get there quick. We were doing 90 miles an hour if we were doing five miles. I mean, we was trucking. And we didn't have any air conditioning in the car, so we had all the windows rolled down. You can imagine at 90 miles an hour. I'm sitting up here in the front seat, and, and the boy's sitting in the back seat, my brother Heath, and mom's just smoking like a chimney. I guess she's smoking back them days. It was... she's... Ushers. She's giving me the eye over here. I might need some help for us over. But we was rocking down I-55, you know. And my brother says, Mama, I got to go to the bathroom. And Mama says, number one or number two? He says, number one. So Mama finished her Coke and handed him the bottle in the back seat. Now, when I say Heath missed the mark, I, I'm not sure at what point things got away from the boy. <clears throat> but he had always been known for his pressure. 
Uh, I mean, he could stand on one side of a lake and he could, well, never mind. <clears throat> but let's just say things got away from him. And I was up in the front seat, minding my own business. When all of a sudden, it like, like the heavens opened. And it began to rain in that yellow Buick Century. The headliner was soaked. And it was pouring. It was dropping down on us. The, the front dashboard got wet, I'm telling you. There was not an inch of that car. And we started screaming. And the boy was, well, he was back there screaming too. He's like, I can't get a hold of it. I can't stop it. Maybe I've said too much. <laughs> Mama about wrecked us trying to get off the road. She, and she finally slowed it down and pulled off. And after we yelled at each other real good, and we got out of the car dripping wet. We had to laugh. But it ain't always funny when you miss the mark in life. Today's message is entitled, Hitting the Mark. How, how many would rather hit the mark than miss the mark? So we got a journey that God has got us on. And he set marks along the way. And like I said, the, the mark of God is always love. And he wants us to get along with other people, to play well with others. Does that make sense? For example, this church. He's told us our long-term vision. We're going to plant churches and we're going to show people the real Jesus and hope and love and purpose and all these things. We're going to, plant, we're going to go make disciples in all the world just like he told us in the Bible. We've got a big vision. He's told us where we're going, but before he told us that, he told us who we are. Because if we don't know who we are and we don't hit that mark, we'll never get to our destination. And what did he tell us? We're a warm fun-loving family. We love people. Everyone minors to us. We're a hospital of hope. We want everybody to come on this journey with us. That's a, I call that our culture. God developed a culture in the people. He's got to get the, get the wilderness out of you. He's got to get the slave mentality out of you. He's got to get the darkness out of you so that he can get you down the journey towards the light. I love our culture. And I believe you probably do too. I mean, that's why a lot of you have stayed around and come here. But let me, let me tell you this. Our culture is more than just smiling at visitors. We're good at that. We're good at shaking people's hand when they come in. We're good at that. But it's also about how we treat one another behind the scenes. Really, that's where the rubber meets the road. That, you, you can put on that face and smile, but is it coming from the heart? Amen? God doesn't just expect us to have godly cultures in the church. He wants you to have a godly culture in your home, in your relationships, in your life with other people. He wants you to have... It, as much as is within you to influence it, he wants you to develop a godly culture in your workplaces. Sometimes they don't want a godly culture in the workplace, right? 
But as much as it's within you, you are the salt of the world. You are the light of the world. And you are supposed to create a godly culture everywhere you go. And a godly culture is worth protecting if you're filling out your sheet. If you, if you get a godly culture, like I feel that we have here at the Passion Church, then we need to protect it. We need to watch over it. We need to be protectors of our godly culture. Nobody wants to dwell in a yellow pea mobile. <laughs> right? As soon as all these people came and liked our church and became family, people will be wanting to leave if we lose our culture. Have you ever ridden with a person, not Heath, but another person, say you went on a family vacation, there's four or five of you in a car, and, you, and everybody's in a excited mood to get to the destination, but there's one person that woke up on the wrong side of the bed? It seems like there's always one, isn't it? And they're the ones complaining and murmuring the whole time down the trip. You ain't got three or four down, miles down the road, and y'all are like, let's just turn around and go back home. The whole trip's canceled. You know, we're, <laughs> we're not going now, uh, especially as parents, you know. We'll just turn this thing around. You know, you've been there. I was that person on most trips. I've, I've got a negative streak. No. Yeah. <laughs> Don't act like you... You might have called me Mr. Negativity for most of my life. In fact, at my last job, I, I was trapped in a cubicle, you know, a four-by-four four cubicle, and, and it just drove me crazy. I was like a wild uh, stallion trapped in a, a stall, and I, and I became negative and bite anybody that would come near my cubicle, you know. I was Mr. Negative. I know it's hard to believe, but it's true. God has done a work in me over the years, but for many years at, at my job, I was like Mr. Know-it-all. Now, when I started the job, there's too many amens going on in here. <laughs> when I started the job, I didn't know what an invoice was, and I was in sales. I mean, they was nice to me to hire me, okay? It was because my brother worked there. They hired me out of pity, okay? But within a couple of months, after I learned what I was supposed to be doing, all of a sudden I was a know-it-all, and I was telling everybody else, they don't know what they're doing, a bunch of idiots around here. Meanwhile, the company's making $400 million a year, but I'm the, I'm the smart one that just learned what an invoice is, right? <laughs> if they would just do everything my way. But I wasn't the one tasked to lead the company and because of my attitude and my negativity I never would be the person tasked to lead that company they never would put me in management I didn't understand it I stayed mad all the time I went to interviews tried to to move my way up but I look back now and it's just as a leader now I can see why it was because I was negative all the time I was a know-it-all, and, and nobody, it don't matter how talented you are, nobody wants to be around a Mr. Negative, and they're not going to promote you. Okay, that's enough preaching for today. <laughs> There's one scripture I want you to turn to that, that's really helped change who I am as a person and my negativity, 
some of us just tend to see things, the glass half empty or something. You know, it, it, we're recovering perfectionists. We see all the things that are out of line. Philippians 4, 6, if you turn there. This scripture has really helped me. I quote it to myself when I feel myself going down one of those rants. And maybe it'll help you. I believe it will. Philippians 4, 6 says, be anxious for nothing. In some translations, it says, be careful for nothing or full of care. I think if we were to write it today, we just say, don't worry, <laughs> right? Is that what it says in your translation? Yeah, just, just don't worry. See, that's what's got us all uptight. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 34, so don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. If you're worried about tomorrow, you must act like you ain't got no troubles for today. Right? Why do you want to bring something in the future into today and overwhelm yourself? In fact, who by worrying can add one cubit to your stature? Why would you want to worry at all if God is on the throne? I'm trying to help you. Listen. We worry about things that we cannot control. And it does no good. We worry about things in the future. We don't even know what the future holds. So we're worried about things out there. And then we worry about things that we're not asked to control. We worry about other people's problems. <laughs> We worry beyond our realm of responsibility. And boy, that's really just bringing a lot of worry into our lives. Worry that God never called us to carry on our shoulders. In fact, he says what? Cast your cares, your worries on me because I care for you. So be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Put it over on God. Just be thankful. Let your request be made known to God. Sing that song. Don't worry. Be happy. Life is really that simple. I mean, we've got a choir out there and everything. We've got instruments. and We are just having a lot of fun today. Don't worry, be happy. And the peace of God, isn't that what we really long for? The peace of God which passes, surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds, but it's through Christ Jesus. What does it say in Isaiah 26, 3? They who keep their minds stayed on thee will have perfect peace. He's saying, let's keep looking to me. Verse 8 says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there is any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Think on these things. Turn your thought life to good things. Stay off the negative. 
You control which direction your mind goes. It may have gone down those paths for years and years. You may have boxed yourself in with a cubicle. And you may bite anybody that steps into your door. Your whole life it may have been negative. But you can turn the way you think. You control your mind. And you have to train yourself to begin to think on these things. Paul says the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in my life. These do. And the God of peace will be with you. You say, well, I don't know what's good. or yeah, It's because you hadn't been thinking on them. If you'll begin to meditate on the blessings that God has already given you, you will always have an overflow of things to be thankful about. Just look, the peace of God uh, it says whatsoever things are true. Well, let's just talk about the truth that has set us free. Huh? It says whatsoever things are noble. Well, my God is noble. And he's, he's developing a noble character in me. I'm much more noble than I used to be. Whatever things are just. <laughs> well, I've been justified. There's something to celebrate. Whatsoever things are pure, things are lovely. I got a lovely wife. I can think on that. And I often do. <laughs> and I got a lovely daughter. I go home to a lovely house and a lovely yard. Look at all the lovely. Okay, I got a lovely mom. <laughs> Thanks for helping me out. That was close. There be anything of a good report. Man, I got good reports. I'm just not going to focus on all the bad things happen. I got to... Train my mind to think on the good things. Stop letting the devil control your thoughts. His job is to keep you in the mully grubs, keep you in the darkness, keep you negative, keep you down. You know, I wasn't always negative at my job. Those first couple weeks I got hired. <laughs> I was happy that I had a job at first. But there's this progression that seems to be prevalent in everybody's life. I mean, you can even look at little kids. They're just happy. They're playing in their little sandbox. All, they're, they're all, the only thing they're worried about is having fun and doing little kid things. But what happens when they become teenagers? Oh, has anybody ever lived in a room with a teenager? In a house? What happens? They get just enough knowledge to be dangerous. And th those little few things that they know, they begin to they begin to pick apart everything else. Oh, that's not right. No, mama's not paying the bill right. Daddy's not doing this. Daddy don't keep the yard right. Ma they don't buy the right groceries. Wah, wah, wah. And they begin to pick apart everything and make life miserable for everybody. Not these teenagers, of course. <laughs> that's why it's so important that your teenagers be in church. Because these are life changers right here. I was serious about that. These teenagers have seen the light and become the light. Amen? But it's a natural progression. And if we continue to be negative long enough, we'll have a blowout. We let all that steam build up in us, and we do stupid things when we blow up. We say stupid things. Some of us get fired. And I almost got fired at my job one time. 
I'm serious. I was, I had gotten a habit of sitting in my cubicle and everything would happen. I'd make a snide comment over the top of the cubicles and I was getting louder and louder, you know, as I was getting worse and worse. And one day I said something really loud and I thought to myself, I hope my boss wasn't walking by when I said that. And I went home and, and God gave me a dream that night and he showed me that I should be fired. He showed me that some my boss may have heard what I said. I went to work the next day with a new attitude. <laughs> God will put you through the ringer. He will, he will whoop your boo, honey. And I'm glad for it. I'm glad he changed me. He changed me right then. He showed me what, what my behavior was leading towards. I was about to have a blowout. I was about to get fired. And I went in that morning, and I was thinking they was going to call me back to the office, but they never did. And the mercy of God saved my job because I deserved, really, to be fired. God has had to humble me over and over again in my life. So like now, I'm like the king of humble. I'm like the best humble guy you've ever seen. <laughs> She just called me an oxymoron. What? I don't even know what that is. No. <laughs> but my once I got saved, it's been a progression towards humility. I am not the same person that I used to be. God has learned to teach me some contentment. And James says... Godliness with contentment is great gain. Learning just to be happy where you are and not upset all the time. To be thankful in the situation that you have now so that he can bless you to get you where he wants to get you next. And it began to change my job. At some point, I just stopped fighting against the system. And I understood that I'm, I got to run in my lane. I can't tell everybody else what to do. It ain't my responsibility to tell everybody else what to do. My family life changed. I stopped being so hard on everybody. Man, I used to drive them in the ground complaining about this ain't right. You know, this ain't right. And yes, my church life changed too. What you talking about, Pastor? You mean you used to create problems in the church? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. First person I, I want to see when I get to heaven is Pastor Paul. Just apologize to that man from the things I put him through. I mean, just thinking I knew everything, being frustrated with him. I didn't know what he was going through. Now I do. But eventually, God began to show me instead of incessantly complaining, and blowing up and wanting to leave. And I, there was plenty of times I wanted to leave the church because they wasn't doing things my way. But I stayed and I prayed and I'm glad I did. And I grew to be faithful and positive in my lane. I just said, I'm going to do what God has for me to do. Not what everybody, I'm not doing everybody else's job. I'm going to be faithful in my lane so God would grant me a say in things and not just a say about things. 
Everybody has a say about things. But you got to be a little more faithful to earn a say in things. Does that make sense? Run in your lane. I said that in a sermon probably about eight weeks ago or something, and I had people come up to me and said, that really set me free when you said run in my lane. Because I was, I was all over the place trying to make sure everybody was doing what they're supposed to be doing. And I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. Second Timothy 2.5 says, Anyone who runs in a race must follow the rules to get to the crown. What happens if you're running in a race and you bump somebody else out of their lane? You're disqualified from the prize. And it's the same way in life. There was a guy named Absalom in the Bible. And he was David's son. You all know King David, right? King David had a bunch of grown sons towards the end of his kingship. And one of them was Absalom. And Absalom was a big, good-looking man with all kind of future ahead of him. He might have one day became king. I don't know God's, what, what God might have done. But Absalom, he had a beef with his dad. He got offended by his dad. You see, his sister got raped, and his dad didn't behave the way he thought his dad should behave about it. He didn't do anything. Now, I'm not, I'm not defending David or anything. I mean, we all got junk in our past. We got things that went on in our family that we'd just rather not talk about. And some of us are still using those things as excuses for... B- Behaving badly today. And that's what happened to Absalom. He couldn't let things go. He let steam build up. And he was getting madder and madder that his dad had not done this. And and, and he decided, I don't like the way my dad's running the kingdom. Look how good looking I am. Look how big I am. I need to be king. And so what he began to do is go out in front of the gate at Jerusalem where the people would come into the town and they would go to talk to King David to get their answers. You know, they would, he was like the judge. And he sat out there and, and he would flatter everybody. Oh, how you doing? And they would go to bow before him because he was the king. Oh, no, no, get up. You don't have to do that. I'm, I'm one of you. I'm, one of, I'm not like King David. I'm, I'm just one of you guys, you know. In fact, man, I wish I was, you, you know, the judge. I'd give you exactly what you were wanting in life. And he began to flatter everybody. He began to backhand, uh, run down his dad as king. He did it to the point where about half the people in Israel and Judah began to want him to be the king. You know, you can talk bad about a good man so, so much that people begin to believe it. You can be flattered by the devil. And so this man was, was upsurping his dad's kingship. And he did and brought a rebellion and he, he got part of the army and the army was coming into town to destroy King David and David got word of it and him and his household and his close men, they all left just in time not to be wiped out by his own army. Well, the story goes on. Uh, there's a ends up in a battle between David's loyal men and the ones who had decided to follow Absalom. And David said, when you go to battle, don't kill my son Absalom. His heart was tender towards his son. And that's the way God's heart is towards us, even when we're like we are. Even when I was biting people's heads off in that cubicle, God was still for me. He's still trying to cover my sins. He covered me from getting fired that day. 
And, and Absalom, he, he said, don't kill my son Absalom. You know, we got to win this war to reclaim the kingship, but don't be, be gentle with my son. But in the course of battle, Absalom's hair got caught. His old beautiful hair, he was so good looking. His hair, his vain side of him got caught in a tree branch and he got, was dangling from the tree. He was riding a donkey and it got, and uh, some men killed David's son, Absalom. Why do I tell you this story? I don't know. But Absalom wanted to overthrow someone else to gain something that he wasn't called to himself. Ultimately, only God should avenge and only God should promote. In God's kingdom, He is the avenger and He is the promoter. Daniel 2 verse 20 says, Praise the name of God forever and ever, for He has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and He sets up kings. Absalom got to the palace for a few days, but he would never be king. Or whatever else he might have attained to, he would never be that because he was killed. The offended often becomes the offender. Have you been offended about something lately? You see a pattern. The, let me say that again. The offended often becomes the offender. When you see young kids who have been violated or whatever, why is it that they grow up and do this very same thing that they should hate more than anybody? Proverbs eighteen nineteen says, An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Man, I'm telling you, if someone takes offense, it's a serious matter. Brother Tom, he preached the other day. He said he refuses to take offense. I said, Tom, it couldn't be that simple. I mean, offense is coming at us every day. He says, it's too important that I walk in love. It's too important. I cannot... He said the same way that you take offense, you can refuse offense. It is your choice. The offenses will come, Jesus said. But woe to those who take the offense and become the offenders later on. Don't do it. People are going to do mean things to you or whatever. Say, protect me, Lord. You're my avenger. Thank you, Lord. Nobody can take from me what you have given me if I walk in love. I refuse to take offense. We're going to talk about a few things that are culture killers. Rumors and gossip are two big culture killers. It's said of gossip that four horses cannot overtake the tongue. That tongue has a way of spreading things faster than the horse can keep up with. You got a church or a home or a job full of people spreading 
rumors and uh, gossip, then you're in trouble. Just because you know it don't mean you got to tell it. <laughs> See, love covers a matter. Go gossip taints people unnecessarily. For example, you get this juicy nugget about somebody and you run and tell five people, did you hear what so-and-so did? Man, can you believe it? It's just something in our devilish nature. It's our old sin nature it wants to do these kind of things. You talk about somebody to five other people. You may have thought it was the truth and you thought it was justified. But even if it's the truth, it's not justified. Just because you know it, you don't got to tell it. Love covers. So you done told five people. Meanwhile, the person that told you comes back and said, I was wrong. That was just a rumor. That wasn't even true. Well, nine times out of ten, you might tell one or two of them people that you told it, but you're going to forget somebody. Now three people in, in, in your job is walking around hating on somebody about something that ain't true. And that's just one incident. Over a given period of time, if that kind of culture of rumors and gossip is allowed to thrive in your midst, then all these dark currents of strife begin to enter in. Rumors is just often spreading false information on purpose. And that's just devilish. Proverbs 6, 16 says there's six things that the Lord hates. No. Seven things he detests. Haughty eyes. A lying tongue, hands that kill innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies. And then the seventh thing, a person who sows discord in the family. You know what discord is? It's these things we're talking about. You're not drawing people together, you're drawing people apart discord and strife you probably don't go to your family reunions because of it right discord and strife rational people don't want more drama in their life not rational people hello you who love to get into a bunch of drama and that includes on facebook too It is a virtual world, but it does reach real people in the end. James 3.16 says, For where envy and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. You've just opened the door for the devil to bring in every evil work in your life. If you're, if you're sowing discord among the brethren, you're, you are walking in strife, stirring up stuff all the time. People quit jobs over strife. Just can't take this no more. People quit marriages over strife. They split apart what God has joined together. I'm telling you, strife is a killer. People certainly don't get up early on a Sunday morning to have more drama. 
<laughs> Jesus said in Matthew 5, 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meek is like, not weak. It's not the same thing as weak. Meek means strength under control. Like a, a raging stallion, you know. He's got all this strength. But until they call it meeking a horse, putting a bit in his mouth and teaching them and training them to use that strength under control so that they can ride calmly into battle and use their strength at the rider's control. And God wants you to use your strength at his control. Not just for all these other measures. Destroying things. Some of you got gifts that God's given you and you, and I know that God wants to take that thing that you have used for evil. He, he gave you that gift, but you have used it for the world's purposes, and it can be very destructive. Parts of your personality that God wanted to use for his kingdom, you have used for the devil's kingdom. But he wants to turn that around. He wants you to learn some humility and learn to be meek, for they shall inherit what? The earth. God's people are peacemakers. And they remain meek in this chaos called earth. And they're the ones God chooses to rule His new heaven and earth. The meek shall inherit the earth. I'm preaching real good. You remember we had communion in here about three or four weeks ago. And I taught on just a little bit about getting the, the horizontal relationships right so there's nothing clouding the vertical relationship between us and God. And man, it was, it was the Spirit of God came in here, and before the service was over, there was 40, 50 people came up to the front to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Such a sweet spirit in here. And that's what happens. See, we, we got to hit the mark of getting along with the people on our road, not storing stuff up, not getting angry, not letting offenses come. All these things... How do we handle conflict? We're running out of time. I'm going to go kind of quick. I just wrote a few things down. This is not a catch-all message. But don't allow gossip in your presence. If they come, hey, did you hear what Larry did? Look, man, that's between Larry and his crew. I, I don't want to hear it. I don't talk about Larry. You Maybe you need to go talk to Larry about that if, if it bothers you. You know, cut it off. Call out rumors for what they are. Man, that's a lie. I'm not listening to that. I believe the best about Larry. And if you get hurt, and like I said, offenses will come. They, they will present themselves. And if you are hurt, don't just you don't just have to hold it in, but you don't have to go to everybody else about it. You go to that person. The Bible says go to your brother. Go to your brother and, and communicate with him and get it right. And then if they won't listen, it says go find a, another brother, preferably a mature brother, who can handle such situations, and then y'all go reason with him. And you know, you escalate as need be. But you don't just start, man, have you ever seen two people fighting and they've never even come face to face? But they just go around the job, <laughs> yang, yang, yanging about one another? But they never have the courage to actually talk to one another? And do whatever you do in the right spirit. Top three things that I've learned to help handle conflict. Number one, communication. I'll go slow if you're writing this down. 
Number two, communication. And number three, can't remember what that one was. But anyway, the Bible says go to the offended person and be quick to apologize is another one. I, my papa, he would never apologize, never admit he was wrong over anything. Be quick. Just, it shows a little humility. We used to go, we went to this husband and wife seminar one time, marriage meeting thing. And I'll never forget, the guy said, the first one to apologize shows that they're the most mature in a marriage. We all rushed home to apologize to our spouses. Ever since then, I've always wanted to be the first one to say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. See, I'm the more mature one. Even if my motives are wrong. You know, no. <laughs> Proverbs 15.1 says another, a gentle answer deflects anger. But harsh words make tempers flare. Learn to just control your emotions. Self-control, a little self-control. You ain't got to yell at everybody like the pastor. Basically, it's our responsibility to keep a godly culture wherever we go. Or at least try to. I have an Uncle Joy. When I was growing up in Shaw, Mississippi, until I was about eight years old, he was probably about seven or eight years older than me. And I remember my Uncle Joy. He was kind of like a big brother to me. He was my hero. He didn't cuss. He didn't drink that I know of. He wasn't mean to me. You know how us big brothers can be mean? I'm glad my little brother isn't here to say amen. He, he, he was nice to me. He played with me. I remember I looked up to this man, and he was only five foot one. He's really, today, he's five foot one. But I say all this to say that the world needs more big brothers and sisters like this. Keepers of the culture. Keepers of a godly culture. When we have our Wednesday service, we call it our next level Wednesday service here in the sanctuary at 7 o'clock on Wednesdays. I often tell those people, you're the ones coming to go to the next level. You're the ones that's gone beyond the Sunday, and you're really pressing into God. You've come to go to the next level. And so I assume that you're more mature. Now, I don't say anybody anything about that you hadn't come yet, those of you who hadn't come yet on Sunday, Wednesday. But I say you're the big brothers and sisters in this congregation, and, and you're keepers of the culture. You're the ones who need to encourage each other to get along and to stop all the the strife, so that with all these new people coming in, that they, they understand that we're not adapting to your old culture. We're keeping the culture that we have, and we're valuing it, and we're protecting the culture. You're the big brothers and sisters. What we need in the church and what you need in every walk of your life, we need more armor bearers and less tail bearers. Does that make sense? An armor bearer, will take the blows for someone else, protects, holds the shield, a tailbearer 
A talebearer is somebody who comes along behind and just makes a mess of everything. Talking, talking, talking all the time. Talebearer. T-A-L-E. Succumbing to a negative spirit. I wrote this down. Kind of to sum this message up. Succumbing to a negative spirit. Complaining. Getting out of your lane. Giving and taking offense. Gossiping. Spreading rumors, discord and strife is missing the mark. Can we agree? It's going, number one, in the pool we all have to swim in. Really. We have people wanting to come into this country because they love the freedom and the things that we stand for, but yet they want to come in here and impose Sharia law on us. And bring us back to where they they just came from. It's the same way. We are creating a culture, a godly culture, where people can know the real Jesus. And we need to protect that here. We need more big brothers and sisters. And when you don't, you're just going number one in the pool that you're you're actually swimming in yourself. My brother Heath, he missed the mark. And missing the mark can make for a miserable ride. So I say, what would Jesus do? We hadn't talked about Jesus much in this message, so I said, well, we've got to talk about Jesus because he's the answer to all these things. Jesus stayed focused and in his lane. What? Jesus stayed in his lane even though he was ruler and creator of all? Yes, he said, I only came to do what my father told me to do. He said, I've only come for the children of Israel. He knew his purpose his mission. He stayed in his lane. I never heard him complain. I never saw him worried, biting his fingernails. And when he did sweat, as it were, great drops of blood, it was because the sin of all the world was being poured out on him. The care of the whole universe, all, he was bearing the weight of the world. And we will never be asked to do that. He has not asked you to bear the weight of the world. In fact, he says, cast your cares on me. For I care for you. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. It says in Isaiah. Those crown of thorns that were pressed down on his head was so that you could have peace in your mind. All the things that he did was to set us free from all these worries and cares and this destruction of darkness. And to give us life and life more abundantly. To come out from among them and be ye separate. To live a life with a godly culture and help others to come along. And to live in the light as he is in the light. He did all these things for us. So I'm going to ask you today. Before we close, will you take a big brother and a big sister pledge with me? You don't have to. What I'm asking is, will do you see things in this church 
you see the, the Spirit of God moving and the things that God is after in this church, and you see where God is leading us. You see things in your family that you know that you could have more control over if you would move out of over into the light a little bit more and take more ownership of the culture and change the thing. You see things in your job where even though it's darkness all around, they're using the name of the Lord in five different ways and none of them good. You could still stand strong for the name of Jesus. And you could love them despite their wicked ways. And it's the love of God that's going to change them and change this world. So I'm asking you today, by a show of hands, who will be a big brother and a sister, the keeper of godly culture in their life? You don't have to feel pressured. If that's what you want to be, repeat after me. Say, God, I will be a big brother or a sister. I will be a keeper of your culture. I will love like you love. I will stay away from rumors. I won't listen to gossip. I won't sow discord. But harmony. I will love. I will not get offended. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Give yourselves a round of applause. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.